Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Akusia Ochi. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, the Association of Nurses and Midwives is demanding the removal of the National Service Secretariat's boards in the Ashanti region. And this has to do with some actions of haze that have gone viral in a video. We'll be sharing that with you shortly, the details and the calls. Also coming up, the group that wants to demonstrate over the economic hardship at the prisons of the Jubilee House has been prevented from doing that. The court has agreed with the police on moving that demonstration from the frontage of the Jubilee House. We'll tell you what the new alternatives are shortly. And later on Eyewitness News, the debate on the 2023 budget begins in the House of Parliament with a minority opposing the plan to remove the e-levy exemptions. You recall that the e-levy, when it was introduced, we were told that if you are transferring up to 100 cities in a day, you do not have to pay for it. Now, the government, through the Minister of Finance, says if you're transferring beyond 100 cities or less, you still have to pay because the rates have been reduced to 1%. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. We also have business. That will be in some 50 minutes. Yes, the Institute of Energy Security discredits government's gold for oil policy and calling for focus on domestic oil revenue. That's in 50 minutes. And Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including in the western region on Adrinpa 100.7 FM in Takwa, Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi, and Sky Power 93.5 FM also in Takradi. In the Bono region, we are on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani. Ashanti region, we are on Focus 94.3 FM in Kumasi, Orange 107.9 FM also in Kumasi. In the Volta region, catch us on Revival 99.3 FM in Tajavu, VOV Radio 95.7 FM in Hawaii. In the Northern region, we are live on Radio Bimbila 91.9 FM. And in the Upper East region, we are on Quality 88.7 FM in Garu. The neighboring Upper West, we are live on Tungsun 97.3 FM. In Wa. The show is interactive. Send us your messages using the WhatsApp and Telegram number 0549-986-996. 0549 What's happening in the studio? Drop your comments under the comment section uh, where you're watching the video from. This is Eyewitness News broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sandamadu here with Akosia Autry. Let's go for details of our stories, and we start off from the Ashanti region. There's a storm now brewing over the head of the national, the NSS National Service Scheme boss in the Ashanti region, Alex Opoku Mensa, and this has to do with some actions of a haze, which have been captured in video, which video has gone viral. Edward Opomafo is our bureau chief in the. Middle Belt, and that includes Ashanti, BA, and other regions. He's joined us on the line now to give us more on this particular story. Uh, Eddie, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. 
first of all, we've seen the video, but what's the backstory? Okay, so Sandra, well, what happened um, was that yesterday, um, what we've been told is that um, a doctor in the hospital, the Mesha District Hospital, uh, she prescribed some drugs for a patient, and now they are using the electronic system, and so from how it has been configured, what is done is that um, once they prescribe a particular drug, uh, people who go to the pharmacy, they use that system to uh, just uh, inform the pharmacist that this is what I've done, so they check it, and then you're supposed to pay. But unfortunately, one of the drugs that the do- uh, doctor prescribed, uh, they were not having it at the pharmacy. And based on that, the, the pharmacist was not able to print it out because once they print it out and it has not been taken from the system, it means that you have to even pay for the drug, although the drug is not available at the pharmacy. So what happened was that a nurse who was on duty at the time called the doctor who by then had clothes for the day. And so the nurse called to inform the doctor that because you are the only one who has access to this electronic system, that once you do it for one person, according to hospital management, it's not possible for another doctor to even delete it so that the patient can buy the other drugs or the person will have to just pay for all the other drugs. That Although you know you can't have access to it, but you just have to pay for it. And so the next called, and then based on how the conversation went, Apparently, um, what we understand is that there was a communication issue. The nurse called and informed the doctor that you have to rush to this hospital, although you've closed for the day, rush back and change a particular uh, drug that you prescribed. If not, if not that, the patient will have to pay for it, although the person cannot have access to it. And it appears the way it was being communicated, as the nurse was speaking to the doctor, uh, what we are told is that the nurse abruptly hung the phone. So the doctor was not happy. And that's the doctor who is under housemanship. She was not happy. And she decided to go to the facility because the lady, as the nurse indicated that she has to get to the facility as well as possible to rectify that. So the doctor went to the facility. And when she was going to the hospital, she went with the father. That's Mr. Lexopokumenta, who happens to be the NSS boss in the central region. And so when they went there and were explaining this, in the course of the explanation, that was where Mr. Lexopokumenta came in, and he was curious about the fact that the daughter, who is a, a doctor under housemanship, um, had closed for the day, and he feels that the daughter was disrespected by the nurse based on how it was communicated. And so I see the daughter has um, engaged in some kind of negligence. And so... He was not happy with it, and in the process, he insulted the nurse and the kind of words that he used on the nurse, and he been threatening to uh, use his influence to ensure that the uh, the nurse is transferred. And so that's basically what transpired under. All right. So the nurse called a doctor who is a daughter of the NSS boss for the region to come to the hospital to deal with some pressing administrative issues. Then this doctor comes with her father. Yes. Her father is in an influential position. 
and he comes to abuse this nurse who had mm-hmm. called a doctor to come to the hospital. Yes. So this is what happened. That's basically what happened. Do we know who recorded this? For now, we don't know, but uh, based on the, the audio that we have, uh, uh, the conversations and other things that was gathered, there were a lot of people within the facility at the time. And even once you listen to it, you get to know that there were other people who were speaking in the background. But for now, we're unable to tell who actually recorded it. Uh, what appears is that uh, what we've got is that it could be one of the nurses who were around at the time, but that has not uh, been independently verified. And so we can say that for a fact. You have listened to the audio. Share with us some of the things that were said in there that are airworthy. Right. And so, basically, with the content, uh, Mr. Lysopoku Mensa um, sought to indicate that his daughter is a very smart person and that the nurse um, is in no way just uh, closer or at par with the daughter who is a doctor and that uh, he, he feels that the, the nurse is quite jealous of the daughter and that's why they are trying to disrespect the, the daughter in that manner. He feels that the manner in which uh, the whole communication went was not the best. And so that was where he started using some unprintable words. But he also tried to give certain things. And in essence, what you gather from it is that he feels that the daughter, who is a doctor, um, is superior to the nurse, and that he feels that the nurse would have wished to be like the daughter. The daughter. And so it's just uh, being jealous of the daughter. That's why she decided to react that way and was disrespected. And so it was basically about the fact that the daughter, the nurse, that they attend a very good school and the kind of training she had as uh, as a nurse is not comparable to what the daughter, daughter who is a doctor has had. And so that's basically it. But he goes on to insult and use some other words that obviously you can use on there. I see. Thank you. So now the demands are for him, for him to be removed uh, from office. Yes, that's what the Nurses and Midwives Association are saying there. Uh, National President um, released a statement earlier today, and they have directed the Ashanti Regional Leadership of the Association to even file a complaint to the police, um, indicating why a few uh, illegal actions should be taken. That even after the President sacks the National Service Board, they feel that uh, the illegal action has to be taken. And they have given an ultimatum. They're saying that Within the next 72 hours, if nothing is done about it, and they don't care to see anything, this, is, this has to be done as it will have to be in stages. So the first stage would be that the facility in question, which is the Mencia District Hospital, the nurses and midwives in the facility will refuse to work after a 72-hour period. And if within that period, while they are um, on that kind of strike, uh, if nothing is done, those within the Ashanti region also join in and embark on strike. And if they are not getting the desired result, then the national leadership will uh, declare a nationwide strike. And they feel that it's an attack on their profession and uh, the fact that their profession was uh, in a way they need and how uh, the appointee talked about the events and midwives profession. They feel it's not a person, so some kind of drastic measure should be taken. 
Very well, thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. That's Edward Opomafo, he's our bureau chief for the Middle Belt. Let's hear from the Nurses Association. Our perpetual Furiampofo is the national president of the Ghana Registered Nurses and Midwives Association. Madam, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. What's the position of your association on this issue? Hello, madam. Madam Perpetual, can you hear me? I'm sorry, we do not have her immediately on the line. That's Perpetual of Furiampofo, president of the Ghana Registered Nurses and Midwives Association. They have been making some demands for the NSS boss to be uh, sent back in. We can hear now from the medical superintendent of the uh, Mensha District Hospital, Dr. Kamaldin Koku. Uh, he, Hussein, Kamaldin Koku Hussein, he expressed displeasure with the situation and the actions of the NSS boss. Listen. Everybody heard about the incident and we as management, we are also not happy about what transpired. We know that there are laid down procedures when you have a concern for that concern to be addressed. The facility has managers, so we expect that anybody who has any concern should come and knock on the door of managers and then let us know exactly what your concern is and then we can address the concern. It didn't happen that way and that is what made people not happy. So as I'm talking to you, nurses, their spirits are very down and I'm also just coming from the doctor that was also concerned. Uh, for now, we've allowed the nurse and the doctor to take some rest and then we are providing them with psychological support and as we go through this uh, difficult time, we are not happy uh, with the comment by the father of the doctor. And then the, the doctor himself was always so surprised because he's never expected the father to go at that length. So that is the situation currently. But as, as we speak now, it has not affected anything here within the facility? No, currently there, there is no, no problem. You can see that work is going on. You go to the OPD, there are patients at the OPD. We know for people will be concerned. So there are also some wrong reporting regarding uh, the doctor prescribing uh, a wrong medication or a wrong dosage. That never happened here. We don't know where those information were coming from. This happened in an adult ward, a surgical adult ward and nobody gave those medications. We didn't know where it was coming from. We heard that a diazepam was prescribed. That medicine we use it for, for convulsion. was prescribed in a very high dosage, and it was going all over. That never happened here. They have nothing to do with this situation that we are talking about. Sorry, can you briefly tell us what really transpired? What was it? What actually transpired was a prescription. Two drugs were prescribed by the doctor. Those drugs were not available. Apparently, the pharmacy at that time said they were not having those drugs, just infusion. So the nurse was calling the doctor to come and make a change because we have different type of infusion. So they wrote a normal sign line, it was not there. So the nurse was calling the doctor to come and change it to something else so that the patient will not be billed twice because the system that we are operating, the moment you enter a medication, the patient will be billed. So these two drugs have already been written and they were not available. So the nurse wanted the doctor to come and switch to another medication. There was another doctor on duty. Apparently that doctor could not do it because of the coding that the first doctor used. 
So this is why I brought all the, 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 the confusion. So the nurse called the doctor to come. And the doctor said, well, I'm no more on duty. I'm, I'm, I'm close. Actually, there are other doctors who can handle that. And unfortunately, the communication was not properly done. One was accusing the other that, oh, you ordered, ordered me. Come right now to the facility. And this one said, I didn't say that. So later, the, the doctor involved, the house officer, decided to come. Followed up, came to the hospital. And apparently, when she was coming, she came with the daddy. And that is what brought up all the confusion. So it has nothing to do with medical negligence? At all, at all, at all, at all. The drug was written. Drug was not given. It was not available. Come and change it to something else. That's it. Nothing else. But is it about the manner in which it was then communicated? We understand the nurse hung the phone and the doctor was not happy with how the call ended abruptly. Exactly. So the doctor w was thinking that maybe the nurse did not rest. So she decided to follow up. But the nurse also claimed that she also had another emergency that she was attending to. And truly, if you had an emergency, sometimes an emergency, you rush. You drop things and quickly be rushing. So the nurse was having another emergency. And we accepted that. Yeah. We met the two of them. They all agreed that, oh, the communication was not good enough. And then they patch up. They patch up uh, uh, yesterday. So that's uh, the medical superintendent of the Mensha District Hospital, Dr. Kamaruddin uh, Koku Hussein. And uh, he says there that they've patched up, but it appears that there are still demands for the head of the NSS boss in the region, who is the father of this doctor, under uh, discussion. So we'll be hearing from the association. But before then, let's hear from the Ghana Medical Association. Dr. Frank Sribo is the national president. Um, for Ghana Medical Association, we feel that, yes, um, we all know what has happened. The only thing we know is about the audio that is out there, and um, we are all commenting on the audio. Uh, we have spoken to our doctor. Uh, we know exactly what precipitated all this um, uproar, and then the father coming in. Yes, we, have, we don't appreciate the fact that uh, parents should uh, come into the hospitals where uh, we work, because there are structures that you can follow if you feel aggrieved. And as a result, at least get a remedy for whatever has gone on. We work with nurses, we work with other uh, health workers, and uh, it's a teamwork. And so sometimes respecting each other helps a lot. I believe that uh, the father went in not because he just wanted to go in, but I think something happened. We have not find, find out exactly what has gone on. And so I think we should have a little bit of patience. There is a need for all of us to dig and find out the root cause of all this. Yes, uh, probably the man went too far, and um, I don't subscribe to parents coming into hospitals to uh, talk to nurses, doctors, and other workers. But we are all parents. We know that if uh, our emotions sometimes get the better part of us, and so sometimes we can go in and do things that we are not supposed to do. But I also believe that uh, they work in a facility. Uh, that is Mencia uh, Hospital. The hospital does have a management, and so I think they should use their structures to uh, actually resolve the matter so that at least in future it doesn't occur again. The other aspect of it is that um, I am not happy with the way the doctor is being subjected to such an emotional trauma. 
if you go on social media platforms, her pictures are being circulated. The pictures of her father is also being circulated. All kinds of comments are being passed. This is a young doctor. Started work barely two weeks ago. She's young. She's now actually starting her career. And I think that we should support her. If we are only looking at what the father has done, we will throw away the baby with the bad water. So it's important that all of us be measured in the kind of comments we pass and how we comment on these issues. And remember that somebody's career is at stake. I am sure she's less than 25 years. So you can imagine if she's supposed to work for the next 30-something years with this car on her mind, it will not help us, it will not help her, it won't help anybody. So I believe that we need to be a little bit measured. We need to be calm about this. We need to actually have a conversation of how to solve these systemic problems. Let's, let's not narrow it down to this matter. Let's look at how relationship between us and our nurses and other workers is done. I mean, I say us, I mean doctors. How do we resolve these issues? How do we even train these young ones? I learned a lot of procedures from nurses. But if you look at it, in fact, uh, how do, does a nurse call a doctor on phone who has closed from work to come and correct something that she's written when there are other doctors on duty? All of these things are supposed to be looked at. So I don't think that um, the way we are going about this issue is, is, is helpful. I think we should let calm health prevail. Let us look at it as a, an issue of a system and not individuals, and then we'll deal with it. Now the president of the Ghana Medical Association, Dr. Frank Strebo. Let's hear now from the nurses. Uh, Perpetual Ofuriampofo is national president of the Ghana Registered Nurses and Midwives Association. Madam, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. As a nurses front, um, this information, was it officially communicated to you or you just received it in the social media space? At the Ghana Registered Nurses, good evening to your listeners and good evening to you too. Um, the Ghana Registered Nurses and Midwives Association is a well-structured uh, professional association and a trade union. We have our Sante Regional Branch, which has its leaders, and we did not just take this information from social media. They sent it to us with a report with regards to what has trans- what had transpired at Mesia Distress Hospital. And having considered the report and having listened to the content of the audio, we decided as a council and led by the National Executive Committee to issue the press statement that we have already issued. And we are calling for what we have. We have stated in the one for Mr. Alex Poku uh, Mensah to be sacked as the regional director for national uh, for the national service scheme in the Asante region. He is not fit to occupy that position. For the actions that he portrayed on Sunday, um, it doesn't it doesn't befit a director who understands that every institution, every entity has a leader there. And for a health facility such as Mensha um, District Hospital, there's a medical superintendent and there is a nurse manager whom he could, he could have complained to. But you don't budge into a, a facility and attack, a verbally attack a nurse and threaten a nurse. When it comes to the house officer and whatever transpired between that house officer and the nurse, uh, indeed, we work in the medical team and we know some of these things happen. 
There have been several instances where a nurse will have to call a doctor severally to come see a patient and all of that. But we understand that this is within the team and we find ways of resolving it. Uh, I'm told that a representative of, of the Ghana Medical Association is also on the line. Unfortunately, his, his voice was very faint. I, I didn't hear anything of what he said. But I know he talked about some of these things. But um, I will not just say that um, the, the, the house officer was wrong or the nurse was wrong. Whatever transpired, they are both adults and are professionals and should have been able to resolve the matter. If they couldn't, the medical soup is there, the nurse manager is there, they could have um, resolved those issues. But it wasn't for the house officer to bring in her father to come and do whatever he did at the health facility. It is wrong, it is unacceptable, and we condemn it in its entirety. And we expect um, other health professionals and Ghanaians, for that matter, to condemn it. If you occupy a public office, it doesn't mean that you can throw your weight about and use that office to intimidate or to threaten or to undermine anybody. All the utterances he made in that audio um, gives the impression that maybe all nurses and midwives, including myself as president of GINMA, and all the leaders within the nursing and midwifery facility are nothing to, to write home about. We are useless. Is he saying that the, 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 those who do uh, general arts are useless when it comes to, to, to uh, uh, medicine or when it comes to uh, medical practice or when it comes to nursing or whatever? What is he talking about? What is he talking about? And it is not for him to even veer into those issues of regulation, training, and all of those things. It is not for him to make those calls. And if a nurse is carrying out, if a nurse is carrying out her duty, and for you as a house officer, you feel offended, there are ways of resolving these issues within the health facility. I'm told that the report we received from our Shanti Regional Branch, this nurse called the, the doctor severally, severally. She did not pick. They, she had to call the, the cover doctor to say that we've been trying to reach your colleague. And that person had to call that, pair, uh, that uh, house officer and say that they, they have been trying to reach you. Call them and let them, this is why they have been trying to reach you. Call them. And then when the call comes, she, she, she communicates whatever it is. And I have not received any, 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 any information about the nurse hanging up or anything of that sort. As, as I said, it, we, it was, we are not going to bring them into this matter. My nurse or the house officer. The nurse already is traumatized about the whole thing. This, as of this morning, we had to get a, 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 somebody to counsel her and all of that. Look, we are burdened with all the challenges that we are confronted at the, at the work environment, and we don't need this in addition to all of that for any family relation of any professional to come into the work environment and abuse anybody. Why don't you treat this man's actions as an action of a father who is not happy that his daughter has been called out to go to a workplace? Why don't you remove him outside his official portfolio? He possibly came there as a father uh, who was not happy with what was said to his daughter, not necessarily as an NSS boss, or you cannot (laughs) divorce the two. (laughs) That's an interesting perspective that you want to bring into this. Look, no father or mother or brother or sister or friend 
has any right to enter a health facility and say that um, I am coming to speak on behalf of my 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 daughter who is a house officer or my my son who is a nurse or my daughter who is a nurse. No, it doesn't work that way. Like I said, every institution, every organization has somebody who manages or leads in that organization. And therefore, if you have any complaints to make, you when you enter that facility, you must be looking for that person to make your complaint or to complain to that person. But you don't take matters into your own and go looking for that nurse and then verbally abuse and threaten that person. Asking her that does she know who you are, you are going to ensure that she is transferred. Does he understand what he is talking Did he understand uh, 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 did he understand what he was talking about? The fact that you are a national service um, uh, scheme regional director and you have nurses who pass through your office to do national service within the region and you may belong to one political party or the other or whatever, does not give you any mandate or any authority to do what he did. He had no right, absolutely no right, to enter the health facility and do what he did. All right. So for you, it is because of the position he wields that he said what he said, and so he should be removed. What if he, what if he's not and removed? He said it, if you listen to the audio, yes. he said it a number of times in the audio. He said it about three or four times in the audio. He said it. If so he, he believes his position and his capacity and what he can do with that. If he has done whatever in the past with that position, we want to tell him categorically that he has no right to come insult nurses and midwives of Ghana. If he does not appreciate the contribution we bring to the table, he should just cast his mind back to the COVID-19 pandemic that we just have been able to just come out of. If he doesn't appreciate us, he should just cast his mind back a couple of months, just a year or two ago. We are doing everything that we can to support the health system amidst the challenges that face us. And he has no right to do what he did. If he feels too big in terms of that capacity he holds and things that he can throw his weight about, we are sorry. And we are calling on, on government for that matter to remove him. He, he cannot take that position, hold on to it, and disgrace that office. It doesn't become of a, a director, a regional director, to do that. And we have issued the statement. We have given the ultimatum of 72 hours. And in that 72 hours, I, I must tell you, even that 72 hours, it was a compromise that we came to with our Ashanti Regional Branch. They were going to move swiftly into action and do all sorts of things. We had to hold them back. We are giving 72 hours for his removal. If he is not removed, Mencia, nurses and midwives are not going to work. They are going to lay down their tools. We will escalate it to the Ashanti region and we will take it up nationally. Because it is not just about this nurse, it's about all nurses and midwives in Ghana. Very well. We'll wait to see what happens next, if there will be any action taken on, on him or there wouldn't be any. We'll be following that story. Thank you so much for speaking to us, madam.
That's Perpetual Ophoriampofo. She's president of the Ghana Registered Nurses and Midwives Association. And indeed, talking about actions, there's a statement that has been issued by the National Service Secretariat or National Service Scheme. And it says that the attention of the management of the National Service Scheme has been drawn to the unfortunate happening at the Menshia Hospital involving Mr. Alex Opoku Mensa, the Ashanti Regional Director of the Scheme, and a member of the staff of the hospital. The management has, since the development, invited the officer for preliminary investigations into the incident. The management of the scheme regrets this unfortunate incident and wishes to retreat the commitment and assurances of the public and the nursing fraternity of our dedication to get this matter resolved. The public will be updated accordingly. So that's signed by the management of the National Service Scheme. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We're broadcasting from Adabraka. In Accra, around the globe, we're on citynewsroom.com. And, of course, we're also live on Facebook. You can follow what is happening there. Let us know what you think by dropping your comments under the Facebook feed or send us a message on WhatsApp, 0549-986-996. Now, these groups that we've just heard from are not the only ones that have spoken. There's more. Um, that has to do with, okay, I think we do not have that. That will be it for now on that particular discussion. We'll return to talk about other things, including the budget debate that has started in Parliament. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. There's still the eyewitness news on 97.3 City FM. Now, the Allied Health Professions Council says the freeze on public sector employment may lead to a brain drain in the health sector. The Finance Minister, Ken Furiata, during the 2023 budget reading, announced a ban on employment of civil servants to reduce government expenditure ahead of the bailout program with the IMF. However, reacting to this on the sidelines of an induction service for over thousand allied health professionals, Deputy Registrar Daniel Atanyako says essential sectors must be exempted from the directive. For, for, for us as a council, um, what we expect is that um, the government is also proposing this uh, uh, Agenda 111. If it is coming on board, it means that they will need people to go and work. So in as much as the ministry has issued the freeze on hiring, we would advocate that they should look at the staff who are of critical need and see how best they can employ them. In fact, uh, those who completed as far back as 2020, there are some of them who are still home who have not been employed yet. We expect that even before we go into next year where the freeze will take whatever effect it is, these people who are still waiting, we are advocating that the government should, as a matter of agency, employ them. Because if they don't employ them and those who, the ban takes serious effect, and those who are also coming out, it has a lot of effect on them. It means that what they have gone to school to study and all that, uh, they'll be wasting home. And this will also contribute to the brain drain as we are encountering now. People are leaving the country, and we need people to work. So for, for us as a council, what we are doing is to ensure that we have qualified people to render quality services to the Ghanaian population. 
once we are able to give them that qualification, we expect the government to do its best to employ these professionals. Otherwise, they stay home or they go out of, outside the country to find greener pastures. You heard that the Deputy Registrar of the Allied Health Council, Daniel Atanyako. Now, the organized labor has rejected claims it has been insensitive with the demand for a 60% increase in base pay for public sector workers. The government's negotiation with organized labor over a new base pay has been adjourned after both parties failed to reach a consensus. While organized labor is demanding 60%, government says it can only offer 15%. Many have accused the labor unions of being insensitive considering the current economic situation. But Secretary-General Secretary of the Trades Union Congress, Dr. Yalba, thinks otherwise. On top of that, based on some understanding we reached in 2010, which was implemented in 2010, 2011, 2012. We want government to, on top of that, put 10% more. And that will send it to about 44%. On top of that, government has already given us a cola of 15%. We are saying that that cola must be maintained. If you put all this together, it comes to 59.6%. And that is about 60%. And that is the basis for our 60% demand for public sector workers. But that is not all. But the idea is that we are in a crisis period and public sector workers are the ones providing services for over 30 million Ghanaians. We want these people who are working so hard to continue to work hard. That is the only way we can recover. And we are asking for this incentive and motivation for the workers. And that is why we are asking for this. So let no one say that this is unreasonable. Let no one say that uh, uh, organized labor, we are not being reasonable in a crisis period. In a crisis period, you need to motivate people who work hard to get us out of the crisis. And that is why we are asking for the motivation. And you should always bear in mind that it is this 644,000 Ghanaians who are providing services for 30 million Ghanaians. And we are talking about the police service, the teachers, the nurses, and all other public sector. Secretary General of the Trades Union Congress, Dr. Yao Ba. Now, some students of the Accra College of Education have vacated campus following the ongoing strike by members of the Colleges of Education Teachers Association of Ghana, CTAG. Members of the association have been on strike for the past two weeks over what they say is the failure of governments to finalize negotiations on their conditions of service. Students who spoke to City News shared how they are coping with the situation. All the tutors, majority of them are not on campus. So students uh, do their personal studies, peer teaching, and um, some of the students, when they realize there is no teaching and learning, they go to the house. So for close to three weeks now, there is nothing like teaching. Um, personally, it has been a headache to was getting teachers off campus. These are the same people who have been helping us in our daily activities. We don't see them anymore and we are left to our feet to cook for ourselves and it's very, very, very hard. So if teachers don't return to class, then it means a year of staying on campus is going to lengthen. So instead of completing four years time, it means you are going to complete in five years time, which is really going to hurt us. 
But what I think the government should do is um, the government should um, accept anything that the training or the teachers want so that they will come back to the classroom for us to learn. Because looking at the semester time, we are supposed to vacate somewhere in December. Here is the case. We've not even learned anything. Assistance, we don't even know whether we will write our exams or not, or if we will go back, we don't know. So, we are pleading on the government to at least assist them so that they will be in the classroom for us to learn. So those were some students who have been affected by the ongoing strike by CTAG. Meanwhile, the leadership of the Colleges of Education, Non-Teaching Staff Association of Ghana, has suspended the strike. The Greater Accra Chairman of the Association, Clement Opongifriye, explains why they have suspended their action. As subject to our previous strike, we were asking that government should place our uh, senior staff be who were holding first degrees and have been placed on level 16 low should rather be placed on level 17 high as it happens in analogous institutions. So that was one of our demands and it was still pending so it was one of our reasons we embarked on the strike. Uh, we're also asking government to commit itself to the signing of our condition of service for the year 2023 which has lasted for long and it was still not getting through. So we couldn't get it for 2022, but at least we were able to come into consensus and we signed it for 2023. Um, also, uh, we're on the issue of withdrawal of uh, some positional uh, allowances, but that issue too, we had resolved it subject to administrative processes to prevail. So um, having gone through some of these strategic uh, agreement, we find it reasonable to call up the strike so that the institution will not continue to suffer. So we are back to work. Greater Accra Chairman of the Colleges of Education and Teaching Staff Association of Ghana, Clement Opongifriye. This Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. There's a group known as Arise Save Ghana Now. And that group has been planning to uh, pick it uh, in front of the Jubilee House it has actually um, written to uh, the police administration. The police administration has refused to grant that, saying that uh, there isn't, uh, for security reasons, cannot allow the group to pick it where it plans to. Uh, it has gone to court, taking the police to court, or is it the police rather that took the group to the court? And today a determination has been made. The group is Justice for Ghana. Bernard Mona is a um, convener of that group. Uh, Mr. Mona, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. What did the court say? Good evening, Omar, and um, good evening to your many listeners and probably viewers. Um, simply, the court refused the application, but also decided to vary the um, location of our event, which, in our opinion, significantly changes the mode and manner in which we want our picketing to go. Take note that the police has insisted that the Revolution Square is, um, in their opinion, security zone and all the things that they have to say. The court thought otherwise and said that the police cannot use their powers um, to de de determine where people should go and demonstrate the police went further in their submission to say that if we wanted the president to hear our communication, listen to Ghana police, 
that we can organize the media and do a press conference and the president can can get the information. We didn't need to demonstrate or picket. And I thought that the police is becoming very offensive and abusive in the authority granted to them. At the end of the day, the cops said that we will move away from the Revolution Square and go to the Eluac Sports Stadium. Note that our picketing was starting yesterday. Today and tomorrow it was a three-day event. The court still insists that we should go and continue only for tomorrow, which we thought that is not what we planned for. The effect is for a three-day sustain for the government to know that the economic realities are nothing that the people of Ghana are excited about. And so we are of the opinion that, yes, there is a temporary or a short victory. Because the Elwak Sports Stadium, as you are aware, is also a security zone. The military has declared that, and all of us know that that place is for the military and therefore it's a security zone. So for the court to say that move from one security zone to the other, in our opinion, was partly to tell the police that there is no place that is considered a security zone. The people have their right to demonstrate and to manifest whatever they want to do, what they want to do. Just that I think that sometimes our courts overpanda to the police administration, and in this instance, we feel very, very let down that the court did not grant our right to demonstrate. Indeed, our lawyer was of the opinion that if the police request is granted, tomorrow if we want to demonstrate in Accra, the police can tell us that there are security concerns in Accra, we should go to Sonyane, or that we should go to the beach, or we should go to Dodoa Forest and go and demonstrate there. And so the police cannot at any time determine for us where we should go and do our demonstration or our manifestation. And for me, that is the major achievement in this, that police cannot tell us to go to the Black Star Square. That is not where we want our event to happen. The maximum effect of our event is to be in front of the Revolution Square, which Revolution Square, you are aware, represents probity, integrity, and accountability. All these tenants are lacking in the Akufado administration. So you want to demonstrate in front of his gate so he would see you, but you're going to have the media, regardless of where you are, and demonstrations traditionally have routes that we've been using. And if the police says that it is for security reasons they cannot host you, that is reasonable, isn't it? And that's why the court... Head and well, agree with I, I don't know why you choose to say that at the gate of the president, and you are not choosing that it's adjacent, the Christ the King, where God is said to be present. So we choose that it is adjacent to the Christ the King, and that when we are going to do our picketing, we'll go into the church, seek divine intervention, so that President Akufuado's heart and mind will be softened towards the people of Ghana. That is one. Number two. Go and check your constitution and any laws in Ghana and tell me that there is anything called traditional routes for demonstration. There is none. And you and the police or any other group cannot impose your definition of traditional routes and locations for demonstration on a free people. Liberties are not determined by what the police think. So what's the option? You are going to go to the Elwak and do what you have been or have been advised. Well, if you if you want to do something for three days and the police decided to use the substitute to deny you of two, two days, going to do for one day will have no effect. We will choose not to do tomorrow. So you're not doing anything? We will not do anything tomorrow, but we'll plan another event for the same venue. 
what happens to the people who were eager to join your your ranks um it is important for the people to know that we are not willing to allow any adulteration of our liberty that is telling us where we should go and demonstrate and reducing the number of days and the period of our demonstration amounts to adulteration of our liberty. And we will stand by that, that we will not allow any millimeter of our rights to be taken over by the Ghana Police Service. And no force can stop us from doing what we want to do against a government that has shown gross insensitivity to its own people. In the last few months, I recall you have gone to picket in front of Parliament House. That's where the people's representatives uh, do business. Why don't you explore that option instead? Because you were allowed at that time to, to do what you wanted to do. Is it not the same thing? Or you deliberately need now to be in front of Christ the King? Well, um, we have chosen to be at the same Christ the King. We think that that is the route that the Vice President passes to his office. We think that the President, on many occasions, will use that route. The Inspector General of Police will pass there. And many of our parliamentarians will pass there. So we have chosen a venue that is central. Take note that this time we are not doing a walk about protestation. We are doing an, an in-situ demonstration. What it means is that we are going to stand at one particular place to picket and show our appearance at the economic difficulties that we are going through, the lack of a condor from government and its officials towards its citizens. And above all, the new um, final announcement that the Minister of Finance called a budget statement that they just declared um, last Thursday. And I'm sure that you know that what the Minister for Finance presented is a final announcement that is to say that um, they are putting a nail on the coffin of hardship for the people of Ghana. Let's leave you here for now. Thank you so much uh, for speaking to us here. I'm grateful. That's Bernard Mona. He is with the Justice for Ghana group. They had planned to pick it in front of the Jubilee House. Uh, they have not been granted that by the police, which has been affirmed by the court. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's talk about the budget, which uh, Bernard Mona just described as a funeral announcement. The debate has started. Aikwe Okain is our correspondent in Parliament. Uh, he is going to join us briefly to discuss uh, what happened, because we are told that uh, the minister's budget was debated largely by the minority side. The majority side appeared to have been in absentia largely. A lot of them were out as of the time the debate was happening, we were told. Um, okay, Aiko has sent us a story. Uh, Sugar, please share that with us. Yes, the minority has predicted doom for Ghanaians in the year 2023. The group says due to the unhealthy policies outlined by the government in the 2023 budget, the public would have to brace themselves for worse economic conditions. Here's the ranking member on the Finance Committee, Dr. Kesalato Forting, debating on the floor of Parliament. And we'll take that debate uh, on point blank. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM Broadcast. From Adabraka in Accra. For now, though, um, Akosia would wear her other cap and present the business news for us. Please stay. City 97.3. Accra. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. 
Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Akosia Autry. Let's settle for the details. The Institute for Energy Security has described the announcement by governments to trade the nation's gold for oil on the commodity market as a lack of policy credibility. The Institute maintains that government has not followed through the many energy policies it seeks to implement. The Institute believes this development has contributed to the lapses recorded in the energy sector. Speaking to City Business News, the Executive Director of the Institute for Energy Security, Nana Amwisi, said the seventh urged the government to commit to pol- energy policies. We are so surprised, judging from the way government frames its own policy. And uh, to this point, we are forced to say that government is losing uh, political credibility, and we say this on the back of the many botched energy deals that we've seen over the last seven years. The PDS, the Ameri Attention Deal, um, Akai GMPC, we're also even looking at the point where government said they were going to, the energy minister was saying they're going to scrap Tamoya Refinery. The MD of Tor was uh, defending from a different angle, and so we see policy incoherent, and uh, it's like they are normally well, not well thought through. The executive director for IES also urged governments to reconsider its decision to exchange the nation's gold for oil and says governments must leverage on its domestic refinery to meet the demands of oil in the market. The first place that you have to look at, what do I have? You have your own indigenous crude. You have a portion of this crude that we produce. You have your own domestic refinery. Why don't you connect the upstream with the midstream? Go that energy so that you can save money, you can assure yourself of reliable supply of fuel, than to go and, you know, mop up gold and go and exchange for finished products. And so for us as IES, we think that this is not something that will bring value to the country. That was the executive director for the Institute of Energy Security, Nana Amwesi the seventh. Now, the Bank of Ghana says it remains bent on strictly enforcing regulations in the fintech space to ensure that consumers are protected. Head of licensing and product authorization at the Fintech and Innovation Office of the Bank of Ghana, Nancy Imadi, added that this posturing also ensures that businesses in the space are compliant and also sustainable able to enable them also export their solutions to other countries. She spoke to the media on the sidelines of the 10th edition of Tech in Ghana, organized in Accra. Okay, so this is a regulated space. And so the expectation is that there will be enough regulatory framework to ensure and guarantee that we have a sound... Okay, so this is a regulated space. And so the expectation is that there will be enough regulatory framework to ensure and guarantee that we have a sound digital payment ecosystem. Remember that uh, the Bank of Ghana is um, a statutory body with a specific mandate, and so we don't take our mandate lightly. We ensure that we act out the mandate to ensure that the consumer, at the end of the day, is protected. So the expectation is that, of course, we will have enough regulatory framework to ensure that consumers are protected within the space. So, of course, um, note also that with all this regulatory framework, we are also ensuring that the entities that are within the space are compliant, 
the entities become also viable, that someday they can even be able to export their solutions to other Western African countries or even the sub-region as a whole. And so note that uh, whilst we regulate you, we are... So that was the head of licensing and head of the products authorization at the Fintech and Innovation Office of the Bank of Ghana, Nancy. Imadi. Now, stakeholders within the energy sector have highlighted the need for more interventions to address energy challenges confronting women in the country. According to them, the transformation of the energy sector towards a sustainable clean energy provides a golden opportunity to, div- to diversity as women inclusion in the energy transition process is critical. Speaking at the ongoing 2022 Women in Energy Conference in Accra, Chief of Staff Akosia Frema Oseyopari noted that gender diversification presents innovation and inclusiveness towards a positive navigation to the low carbon energy transition. Now, the Ghana Revenue Authority has announced the arrest of 45 persons for non-tax compliance since it began its tax compliance exercise on the 1st of September this year. The move, which is in line with the authority's mandate to improve voluntary compliance, is also part of a larger goal to help the authority achieve its revenue target of 80.3 billion Ghana cities for the 2022 revenue collection year. The enforcement exercise involves the evigilation of shops, mystery purchases and swoops across the country by GRA to ensure increased compliance. Addressing the issue, acting head of operations for the GRA, Kwesi Egan, warned that individuals who try to beat the various system and have also not put in place uh, measures by the GRA for adequate tax collection will be dealt with. GRA does its part of the investigation to ensure that if there is any revenue that is missing, you would account for it. If you are not registered, you will register. Then the legal part of the GRA also takes you on for infringing on tax laws. If you are not registered, it's an offense. If you are not using the commissioner's invoice, it's an offense. If you are issuing invoices and charging the tax and are not accounting for it, these are all offenses that the GRE frowns on. And so, the compliance exercise for September dived into October with the same number of taxpayers that we used. We are done with that exercise. What we've done is to step down on these taxpayers. These taxpayers basically included uh, shops, supermarkets, uh, traders. And so, strategically, the, the, the excursion into that sector of the taxpayer population is over. Um, we have looked at the results and have advised ourselves. The exercise is not over. Let's repeat that the exercise is not over. So that was acting head of operations for the Ghana Revenue Authority, Kwesi Egan. Finally, Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Incentive-Based Risk Sharing System for Agricultural Lending Projects, Kwesi Krabia, is urging farmers to develop a saving culture and join farmer group associations for collective bargaining for loans from financial institutions. This comes on the back of complaints from farmers that assessing loans from banks to invest in their businesses is one of the obstacles they 
face. Speaking during a supply chain action network meeting, Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Incentive-Based Risk Sharing System for Agricultural Lending Projects, Kwesi Krobia, said this when done will help promote agribusiness in the country. The bank expects to make a return on their finances. If you are 100 or 200 farmers and are very organized, a moral situation comes into play. What it means is that the bank, if the bank has to visit each and every single farmer in a very dispersed way, it comes at a cost to the bank. So it makes the loan more expensive. If you're very, if you're very well organized, as such, the bank can take representatives of that group as a basis to assess the entire group's requirements. It makes transaction cost very low. So. There's a need. I mean, if I have a three-acre farm, you have a two-acre farm, and I'm going to drive to visit your farm, and I also have a hundred-acre farm, you're going to drive to visit my farm, and in the same area, you pay the same amount of fuel. But look at the look at the differential between a three-acre farm and a hundred-acre farm. It's quite high. So I always say that there's a there's a certain responsibility on the borrower and the lender, and the borrower and lender have to find ways to converge. So it is not that the bank should do all, but also the one who wants to borrow money should also find a way to meet the requirements of what the bank wants. That was the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Incentive-Based Risk Sharing System for Agricultural Lending Projects, Kwesi Krobia, and in City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Akwesi Autry. Up next is Point Blank. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. I am Umaru Sandamadu. Tonight on Point Blank, we'll take you to the House of Parliament. The 2023 budget was presented by the Minister of Finance, Ken Ofriata, last week. It is now the time for the MPs to debate it and either approve or reject it. So let's go to the chamber and hear what the debate has been like. Until yesterday, the blasters of Ghana has given some temporary hope to a very hopeless situation. The speaker, the mood in this house could tell you how hopeless the nation has become. The speaker, if you go out there, the mood on the street of Ghana will tell you that there's hopelessness in the system. Speaker, no wonder that the majority members of parliament have abandoned their own budget. No wonder. No wonder. The speaker, the speaker, the situation out there, the situation out there calls for urgent action. But unfortunately, Mr. Speaker, we are not seeing that. Mr. Speaker, I will list some of the hopelessness that we, have, we confront ourselves in. Mr. Speaker, in the budget. Mr. Speaker, first of all, inflation, that started in the course of the year at 13%, is currently at 44%. Mr. Speaker, this simple means that within 10 months, within 10 months, Inflation, prices of goods and services has increased by 295 times. 
rate of change, 13 to 44 percent. So, Speaker, 295 times. No wonder that prices of goods and services, if you go out there to buy things, it has increased by almost 300 percent. So, Speaker, again, again, so, Speaker, the city in the course of the year, you could buy Ghana City, one US dollar with 6.5 cities in the course of the year, beginning of the year. So, Speaker, today, you will struggle to use one dollar, one dollar, to buy one dollar, you need 15 cities to buy one, one dollar. So, Speaker, this represents 60% increase, increase in one year. So, Speaker, this is the worst in the Fourth Republic. The worst in the Fourth Republic. So, Speaker, the Bank of Ghana uh, uh, monetary policy rate, yesterday they announced it at 27%. 27% as at yesterday. So, Speaker, again, Interest rates, government of Ghana is borrowing a T-bill rate at 35%. Short end, 35%. So, Speaker, it will surprise you to note that if you go to some banks to borrow today, I had an offer from a bank, 47.7% before you can get a loan from a bank. So, Speaker, 47.7%. So, Speaker, that is how bad the current economic situation is. So, Speaker, if government decides to go out there to borrow from the international bond market, the euro bond market, we will borrow dollar at 38% today. 38% dollar. Mr. Speaker, obviously because our current economic situation is so bad that everyone, creditors out there, are so skeptical that government cannot repay its debt. So they are running away, running away from the Republic of Ghana. So, Speaker, unemployment. Unemployment, particularly youth employment, is inching close to 50%. Almost 50%, Mr. Speaker. Yet, this budget fails to address the concerns that we have. Mr. Speaker, unemployment is now becoming a national security crisis. Mr. Speaker, there's a massive, massive cost of living crisis as we find ourselves. Mr. Speaker, it will surprise you to know that marriages are collapsing because of this government. Marriages are collapsing because cost of living is becoming so high. Mr. Speaker, that is where we found ourselves. Mr. Speaker, businesses are collapsing. Honorable Member, I, I just take a few minutes. Uh, the first deputy speaker will take the chair. I will be back. So you can continue. Honorable Member, you can continue. Mr. Speaker, some businesses are moving from Ghana to Ivory Coast and our neighboring countries. Mr. Speaker, obviously because of the poor economic conditions we find ourselves. Mr. Speaker, our debt, our debt is currently unsustainable. Mr. Speaker, as a result, as a result, our, our country's debt is in debt distress situation. Our country is going through sovereign insolvency stress. Yet, yet, this budget statement, the bulkiest of all budget statements, but unfortunately the hopeless one I've ever seen, Fail to address the situation. Mr. Speaker, that is where we find ourselves. Mr. Speaker, I heard my colleague, the one who seconded the motion, the Minister of State responsible for business, state enterprise. Mr. Speaker, he said the government is moving from taxation to production. Where? Mr. Speaker, to my surprise, as if he has not read the budget statement. Mr. Speaker, this budget introduced 23 tax measures. 23 tax measures. Mr. Speaker, I will take time and take you through all of them one by one. 23 different tax measures. 
So it is from taxation to more taxes, not from taxation to production. To more taxes and more taxes as if we don't care about the people of Ghana. So, Speaker, first of all, first of all, this government had informed us. This government had informed us through the last budget that they are removing road tolls. Today, if you are to look at page 101, paragraph 468, they are saying they are going to reintroduce road tolls. Mr. Speaker, this is a government that treats policy like socks. Policy is not socks for you to put it on and take it out when you want. Mr. Speaker, you are treating policy as football socks. That should not be entertained. Mr. Speaker, I'm begging you that when you want to introduce tax policy, you think about it. You do proper analysis before you make a position. You don't introduce tax policy and 12 months down the line, you bring it back. Mr. Speaker, that is really something that we should question the competence of the people that are making this decision. The mismanagement is so clear. Mr. Speaker, again, again, this government through this budget has introduced a new tax. They are increasing the value added tax by 2.5%. 2.5% VAT increase. Mr. Speaker, you agree with me that 2.5% VAT means that our VAT rate will be 21%. Simple put, Mr. Speaker, we already, we already have 5% made of VAT, made up of uh, Get Fund and National Health Insurance. Mr. Speaker, we have 1% VAT on COVID levy already. If you are to add all of them, Ghana's VAT will be 21% statutory rate. But Mr. Speaker, this is different from the effective rate. The effective rate will be about 22%. Mr. Speaker, it will surprise you to note that this VAT rate is the worst in Africa. It's the worst in Africa. No country in the entire Africa has VAT rate in excess of 20%. President Nana Adodankwa Ekufuado's government has introduced VAT at 22%, the highest in the whole of Africa. Mr. Speaker, this should not be entertained. Mr. Speaker, you are introducing VAT at the time, at the time that inflation has gone up percentages almost 300%. At the time, your inflation has moved from 13% to 44% and still climbing up. So, Speaker, by the end of the year, we'll be getting into the hyperinflation year season. Yet, you think the best way to get out of this economic mess is to tax and tax until everybody is dead. So, Speaker, we should not countenance this. This tax policy must be thoroughly debated scrutinize before a decision will be made on. Mr. Speaker, we in the minority will make a position on this tax policy in due course. We'll make a position on this tax policy in due course because, Mr. Speaker, we believe that this is not the time to heap more taxes on the ordinary Ghanaian at a time that 300% it should not be allowed. Mr. Speaker, again, 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 let, let us be mindful that this same administration during the e-levy debate had informed us that no one, no one, particularly poor people, will, will, will be taxed when they are transferring money to another person. And as a result, as a result, the e-levy, they are going to introduce a threshold to exempt small payments of 100 cities. Today they are telling us again in the budget that the 100 cities that the poor people apparently engage in the transfer, the Speaker, they are going to bring it back on. So Speaker, this is a tax for the poor person. Why should we, in this house, in these difficult economic conditions, 
still tax the, the person who your policies have made him poor. So, Speaker, this again, I can confirm to you that we in the minority have made a position that on this matter we'll reject it with all our might and all our strength for this Republic of Canada, the Republic of Ghana. So, Speaker, that is the position of this minority. So, Speaker, we believe, we believe that we should not accept this policy. So, Speaker, this government has also informed us that they are going to increase the upper limit of personal income tax to 35%. So, Speaker, when this tax goes through, when this tax goes through, your, ta your, your income tax is going to go up. So, Speaker, you recall that this same government brought this policy some years ago. This same government brought this policy some years ago. Eight months down the line, they removed it and they brought it back. That is why, Mr. Speaker, I'm saying that this government treats tax policies and public policy as if it's a, it's, it's a disposable kit. Anytime they want, they bring it. When they want, they, 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 they take it out. Mr. Speaker, this again brings to the question of the competence of the people taking those decisions. Mr. Speaker, I believe this is a case of another censorship motion. Mr. Speaker, what is going on in this economy needs to be questioned. Need to be questioned because, Mr. Speaker, the way we introduce tax policies, Mr. Speaker, that is not the way to go. Mr. Speaker, they also informed us. They also informed us that they are going to introduce additional withholding tax on gains from realization of assets and liabilities. Mr. Speaker, taxes has galore. I have counted 23 different taxes. 23 different taxes, including reversal of benchmark values. Mr. Speaker. 23 different taxes. This year, taxes are going to go up. Speaker, for me, in my language, I'll say this budget is Kofiokowu budget. Kofiokowu in the sense that go home and die. But it is taking everything from you. 2023 is going to be a year of misery because of this budget. Speaker, let me now take you to paragraph 212 of the budget statement, of the minister's speech. Speaker, our minister responsible for finance, when he presented his statement to us, had said that in the year 2023, government is going to go through what he calls debt exchange. Again, debt restructuring. Mr. Speaker, at that point, at that point, he created the impression that he is going to engage stakeholders, particularly international bondholders, domestic bondholders, and the Ghanaian public on the matter. So, Speaker, right after that, I personally had an engagement with the Deputy Minister of, 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 of Finance, the Honorable John Kuma. So, Speaker, in the minister's statement, Mr. Speaker, I call it a mini-budget that he read out there. I call it a mini-budget. So, Speaker, he had informed us that even though the President has said there will be no haircut, he, working with the Ministry of Finance, is going to introduce Punky Joe and then Bagbush in the form of debt restructuring, a haircut. Mr. Speaker, you know what they said to us. Mr. Speaker, the Deputy Minister announced to us, the whole world, and the public, that Government of Ghana is going to do debt restructuring. First, they are going to do a haircut for domestic bondholders in terms of interest. Honorable, is that in the budget statement? Mr. Speaker, the source is from the budget statement, page 212. Very good. If it's in the budget statement. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, the Minister has informed us that domestic bondholders will get zero interest in the year 2023. 
In the year 2024, he has informed us that domestic bondholders will get 5% of their interest. And in the year 2025, they will get 10% of their interest. And going forward, they will extend the tenor by 10 years. Mr. Speaker, to my surprise, this is a time that inflation, inflation is in excess of 40%. How do you expect a bondholder not to get interest? Mr. Speaker, this is what in economics and finance we call it financial repression. Mr. Speaker, this government is introducing financial repression in our economy. Mr. Speaker, the impact on this is severe. Mr. Speaker, can you imagine when a pensioner is using his lifetime pension, has invested in government bonds, and he's only surviving, surviving on the coupons, interest that he gets, only for the Ministry of Finance to all of a sudden announce to us that in the year 2023, they are not going to pay interest. Mr. Speaker, how do you expect that pensioner to survive? Mr. Speaker, businesses are going to rely on it. Mr. Speaker, businesses are going to rely on it. Mr. Speaker, individuals. So I want to find out who is going to pay for the medical bills for those pensioners. Mr. Speaker, I believe and hope that this will come before Parliament. But if it does come to Parliament, expect, 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 expect fierce resistance from us in the minority. Mr. Speaker, we cannot, we cannot, particularly on pension. Mr. Speaker, you need to ring fence the pensioner and protect them. We cannot allow pensioners to pay for your mismanagement, particularly the vulnerable people. Mr. Speaker, that will resist it. And I can assure you, Mr. Speaker, I can assure you that the people of Ghana does not deserve this kind of haircut. I call it punky joke. Ghanaians do not deserve this punky joke. We will resist it because we believe that the ordinary people deserve better than that. Mr. Speaker, again, again, they are telling us, they are telling us, they are telling us shaking the black stars for the victory yesterday and we pray and hope that come um, their next match they'll repeat the same feat. Mr. Speaker, on behalf of the Ministry of Finance and the Minister of Finance himself, we'd like to thank leadership and members of the House for the support we have enjoyed from you in the implementation of the 2022 budget and particularly for the full participation of um, the House during the budget presentation last Thursday. The atmosphere was indeed conducive and commendable. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, listening to my colleague on the other side, I'm minded to reiterate that the 2023 budget has been formed or prepared in certain, certain contexts. And the context is that we are faced with both uh, difficult global and domestic challenges. We also have an ongoing IMF um, negotiations, and also we have um, debt operations, which we are trying to come up with to help us bring our debt levels to a sustainable level. Also, we have set some targets for ourselves in this context, and the target is that we hope to raise about 143 billion Ghana cities in revenue. We want to spend 190 billion in expenditure. We also want to do an overall real GDP growth of 2.8%. Um, we also want to end uh, inflation at the end of December uh, in the region of 18.9%. We are thinking of a primary balance on commitment base of 0.7%. And we are hoping that our gross international reserves will cover not less than 
3.3 months of imports. So, Mr. Speaker, this is the context in which this budget has been prepared. Mr. Speaker, we must all admit that we are not in normal times. At the end of 2019, we completed an IMF program successfully. We saw um, our growth rates. We saw our growth rate moving around 7% from 2017 to 2019. Our currency was strong, and inflation had been reduced to a single digit. So, Mr. Speaker, if today we find ourselves in this situation, clearly tells you that we are not in normal times. Mr. Speaker, little did we know that a global pandemic and a war in Europe will bring us down to our knees like this, where we see our currency depreciating by almost 54%, and we have no access to the international capital markets, something we've had since 2007. So, Mr. Speaker, this is really worrying. And, Mr. Speaker, the, the quickly... The quicker, sorry, we do something about it, the better. And it is in this region, or it is in this light, that we are asking our colleagues on the other side to support government with the revenue measures that it has stated in paragraphs 212 to 222 of this year's budget. Mr. Speaker, if we continue to kick, we cannot kick the ball down the road because the, every delay that we delay in passing out this revenue measure means we are pushing Ghana down the drain. As it stands now, our tax revenue to GDP ratio is 11%, way below that of our peers, which is around 18%, Mr. Speaker. So clearly, we need to do something about it. We need to raise more revenue to help us push the development agenda, also to stabilize the economy and make things better for our citizenry. So when you check paragraph 223 to 224 of the budget, Mr. Speaker, GRA has put out some reform measures, both administrative and some in technology, it's technology driven. We are hoping that that will help us increase our tax to GDP um, ratio to about 18% in the medium term and also improve on um, the way we collect our taxes. Mr. Speaker, these measures include um, some fundamental changes in the IT system where we have online filing of taxes, we have digitization of our tax clearance certificates, the EVAT invoicing, and digitization of internal processes as well as records to make uh, tax collection more efficient and to maximize revenue as well. But Mr. Speaker, improving the tax collection process is not the only way to increase revenue. That is why there is a need to raise some form of taxes to support our fiscal consolidation. And I'm therefore urging my colleagues on the other side to support government with its current revenue measures before the House, as listed in paragraphs 215 to 222, like I mentioned earlier. The first we all know is the VAT. Um, VAT. Mr. Speaker, you all bear with me that successive governments have benefited from the VAT. Government is seeking to increase VAT by 2.5%. VAT currently is 12.5% and not the 21% my colleague stated on the other side. VAT currently is 12.5% and government is hoping that you will, you will help um, government pass the 2.5% increment which we are hoping will raise about 2.7 billion Ghana cities um, for development for this nation. Mr. Speaker, um, we all know, I mean, you will mention 2015, but we have gone and moved past the 2015 event Sorry, the 1995 event 
of the VAT. And currently, successive governments, including the previous government, benefited from the use of VAT because VAT is a more sustained way of collecting revenue. And we need this revenue to push the development agenda and stabilize our country. So, Mr. Speaker, regardless of what the politics is on the VAT side, this is the time is now for us to move together to make sure we raise more revenue for our nation. Deputy Finance Minister Honorable Abinawase Asari there ending today's uh, segment, the debate that we are bringing for you on Point Blank is a debate from the House of Parliament on the 2023 budget. That would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sanda Amado. Production by Sixtus Dongulu and Bevelyn London with support from Fertiti Jabano. The technical support from Okla Danso and of course on social media were supported by the new media team at CTFM and CDTV. Thank you for listening. Stay with us. We'll be back at 17.30 GMT tomorrow. 97.3 CTFM Relevant Radio, always. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.